Hi. That was lackluster at best. <laughs> Hi. Um, Hi. It's okay. It's, it's that time of the <laughs> afternoon. I have my coffee, and I'm in Sabbath mode. So hopefully you had a great day. How many of you were at the morning prayer training with Alex and crew? Yeah, quite a few of you are here. That was wonderful. And we're so happy that you're here. So this is really just freewheeling. We just wanted to create a space um, for you as church leaders to ask any question that you want and get some kind of response from these three lovely human beings. You know, um, our story, just to start with a little bit of autobiography, for Bridgetown Church was so unique because none of our eldership, none of our leaders have ever even been in a charismatic church, much less led one. So we're trying to lead something that we've never been in, never been, you know, I I can't say Bill Johnson was my mentor for 10 years and now this is how I learned how to pray for people or whatever. We never had that. I read a lot of books, which is not quite the same when it comes to stuff that's practice and culture. And for so many years, we were kind of stuck in that space that I think so many American churches are, what we would quip is, you know, theologically charismatic but functionally cessationist. So I'm old enough that I I remember the wars back in the 80s and even in the 90s over kind of the cessation of the gifts. And some of you that are younger don't even know what that means. But if you're over 30, you know that language. And there was this scholarly debate. And it was interesting. At an academic level, the cessationist argument basically lost. You have a few stalwarts like John MacArthur that have held out. But basically, academically, scholars, you know, starting with Wayne Grudem and the Vineyard and others, basically thoroughly rebuffed that way of reading the New Testament. But nothing really changed at a popular level in the culture. And so many people said, yeah, okay, we do believe that all this stuff is for today, and there's prophecy and there's healing, and God still does this stuff. Cool. So you have 13 minutes for your worship set, and then we're on to, you know, video announcements or whatever. Not a lot changed in the church. So we kind of were in that space for so many years where it was not a theological question for us. It was really more of a practical and a cultural question. And then on top of that, you have this layer in American culture, which is so polarized. So, you know, I was chatting to my buddy Mark Sayers recently, and we were just on a phone call, and we were talking about he's reading all about Asia right now and how China and Asia and Pakistan and India really are most likely the leaders of the future culture. And even what we're seeing on the West Coast, and you see it a lot in Australia and New Zealand, the merge of kind of Western culture with Asian culture. And I was in a coffee shop in Auckland. It was like the newest shop in town. It was the coolest coffee shop, like impeccable design. And every single magazine was in Japanese or Chinese. And it looked like kinfolk or cereal or whatever, but none of it was in English. And it was this beautiful kind of hybrid of East and West, and that I really think is the future. And one thing he said you know, and he can say this as an Aussie, he said, America, the American church is not the future because America as a whole is so locked in reactivity and everything's just pinging back and forth between the left and the right. And we just see that in our politics and that's a culture-wide phenomenon. It's not just rooted in our political world. And so we were just, have been felt like in that ping pong in America, you kind of have like either you focus on the Bible and the mind and, you know, everything's decently in order to a fault, or you focus on kind of the heart and the spirit, and it's just, it comes with a lot of cultural trappings, and a lot of Pentecostal culture, even though we have very similar theology, just the culture didn't, it wasn't us, it didn't make sense for us, and so we were just stuck for so many years until we met people like these three, until really we got an experience of the church in the UK, which is not kind of locked in that same, I mean, there are Bible churches in the UK, and we're churches, if we can say that, off the record, in the UK, but it's different than here. And um, being in London, in a, in a city that's like ours, but much bigger even, and sophisticated, and having somebody with a doctorate exegete something and then cast out a demon after, I just had no paradigm for that. And, you know, like, you can't go to Cambridge and speak in tongues. Pick one or the other, you know? And um, it was so, it just like it felt the moment I was there, it just felt like, man, this is... This is the kind of culture that I, I could see take root and flourish in our community, in our city. And so we've just been um, living off the derivative blessing of God on you guys and the tribe that you represent in the positive sense of that word. So I would love just to open it up. We've spent all that to say. We've spent so much time. The reason that we bring in these people and the reason they're mostly from the UK is not because we like the accent effect or whatever, but it's because there's something really beautiful that God has done in the UK, first through Wimber's visit and other 
phenomenon and across spectrums, Anglican and Vineyard and non-denominational and house churches and Pentecostal churches and immigrant churches. There's just something beautiful that God's done. So um, we've just spent so much time learning from these, and we just want to open up space for those of you that are not a part of our church to, uh, to get in on the action, so to speak. So who wants to go first? Ask anything. Yeah, uh, I have a question. Um, when you are in a church culture that is, they do about 30 minutes of song and then 30 minutes of teaching, and they're pretty rigid about those times, uh, how do you break away from that and make intentional steps to kind of go more in a spirit-led direction? Fantastic. Yeah, great question. Firstly, I'd say um, Holy Spirit can 100% be in your planning and formation. So I think the misconception is like, oh, the only way to do spirit-led worship is by kind of getting up on stage and seeing what happens. And um, I think that's, a, yeah, a bit of a, um, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think that's the way the spirit um, works. I think it's about um, how you position yourselves to um, be constantly open to what he's saying rather than sort of like, oh, blank canvas, over to you kind of thing. You know, we, we know, I mean, uh, yeah, these two guys have massively formed our thinking on a lot of this stuff. Um, John Mark's book, um, Garden City, you know, this whole idea that God's partnering with us uh, to create. And, and, you know, in worship, what we're doing is we're trying to follow what is the Spirit saying to us as we worship? Um, how is he leading us into more life and freedom, looking at Jesus, responding to the Father's love. So all that to say, I think planning is huge. And then I think um, very practically, we got to a point uh, in our worship leading where we felt like we were kind of going through the motions a little bit. Planning center, great tool, great device uh, for structure. But we can, you know, we're we're quite habitual beings, aren't we? We're like, we, we like our structure. We kind of, you know, do what even we're sat in the four same seats as last night. Um, we just like <laughs> doing what floor, we do. Mixing we're on it the up. floor. You know. <laughs> but um, I think so much of this is like positioning yourselves to be open. And so what we decided to do is rather than fill the 20 minute set with four songs, we decided to begin to think okay, let's take one song out, plan three songs, and then have enough room to like just be free to go wherever. And that practically that. Imp- uh, meant that the whole worship team needed to have a much bigger um, repertoire of songs so that we could just pull out anything. It meant that we lost music stands, music, written music, because we could just go with the flow. Uh, so there were like practical implications of that. But essentially, I think it's planning and then freedom and openness to go wherever. And then uh, on top of that, I'd say then um, having the freedom... Uh, and conversational uh, relationship with the senior leader to be open to risk, to go somewhere, to do something, to change it up during worship, and it not being you not being afraid for it to bomb or, you know, um, to risk, you know. So yeah. Could things. one of you talk about what? When, I think I know what you mean when you say planning, but um, what does that look like practically? Are you saying like you're doing? I obviously filtered through my teacher lens, and people regularly say, like, man, why are you teaching off notes? Just, like, stand up and let the Holy Spirit work through you. And I'm like, you do not want to see what that would look like. <laughs> that sounds much cooler. And I think people misunderstand what <laughs> teaching is. It's not ventriloquist dummy. That's yeah. not, I wish it was that. That, yeah. that would be much easier for everybody involved. Yeah. But that's not what it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's truth coming through a human personality, yeah. for better and for worse. Yeah. Um, but my conviction is that the Holy Spirit is just as present with me Wednesday morning when I'm working on a teaching as he is Sunday morning when I'm giving it and that he is both P and J on the Myers-Briggs, you know? And a lot of people think he's only P. You know, he has to be in the moment, spontaneous, can't plan ahead, anything Mm -hmm. at all. So, but my conviction is I want to sit in the spirit, hear prophetically from the spirit and then have three days to like sit in it, stew in it, let my flesh deal with it, workshop it out, you know, try to get as much of my own 
you know, drama out of it before I stand up and teach. And then when I'm there, I just want to be fully open to mm. any redirection yeah. at any moment from the spirit, you yeah. know? So obviously teaching is different than worship. And in some ways you have more freedom and spontaneity or potential for that than I think a teacher does. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. But um, I would love to have you like flesh out what you mean by the Holy Spirit's in the planning yeah. on Wednesday. Well, I think like, like take last night, for example, uh, you know, we're praying, we're expecting, we're flying out here. We're like, what, what are you going to do, Holy Spirit? What are you up to? What's, what's the feeling on the ground? What are you wanting to say to Bridgetown uh, through this conference and, and wider? And, you know, so we begin to converse and pray and think, okay, what, where should we go? What, what should we do? Because obviously, like, I mean, this is maybe a bit more worship leading specific, but there's a million songs out, right, out there right now. And um, probably we've never had as many amazing songs to choose from. And, and songs are in many ways just vehicles uh, for praise and for worship. You know, so many uh, different ways to express who God is and to commune with God through music and song. So for us, it was like, okay, well, how should we move through the time that we've got? And actually, we went on probably way longer than we thought we would. Uh, that silence that we had probably went on way longer than we probably normally would. Um, for me, that was about how, where can we go together over these two days and how much are we willing to risk together during this time? You know, and then that, and we, and you kind of leave it a little bit longer and that guy begins to pray out, um, something around the presence of God. I think he talked about fire and it was like, okay, just different things. So that was kind of, uh, I guess a real spirit led moment, but in terms of the planning we were like, okay, should we, this is, again, very practical worship leading stuff, but, you know, we don't want to just go in with the big celebratory song. We feel like we're just going to go right in, sort of, we're here, we're here, God. And, and then John Mark um, had this idea to start with this, that Holy Spirit thing, you know, root third, fifth. Uh, and then we were like, it was very, very flashy. In Latin, um, you know. Slightly off key, just yeah. for the fun of it. And then in our in our planning, we were like, right, we want to go in on this uh, on this level where we're like, Jesus, we are right here to meet with you straight away. Like, and so we chose that song, Living Hope. Practically, it's a song probably most people know, but it gets right into the truth of who God is. And then obviously, we were thinking, okay, how can we go through some gears together? So I guess in our planning, that's kind of how we would think, um, I, I want to I engage my mind and my brain in terms of what are we singing about lyrically, what gears are we going through, so I don't just get up there and go, well, I know I could bash out four songs, no problem. I know I could probably put a set list together that would like semi-entertain you guys, like I could pick four top CCLI songs and we could go through the motions together pretty well. We know some of the devices to use, but... I think it's really thinking, how does uh, planning set you up for this kind of um, openness? And so people talk about freedom within a framework. And I think that's really helpful. You know, there was a study um, where they took a bunch of kids to this um, farm, this ranch, if you like, for you Americans. Um, and they said, the first group of kids, they said, um, right, you can go any way you want. Like, sky's the limit. You could go anywhere. And basically, all these kids kind of just um, stayed pretty close to the house. Then they did the experiment again, and they put uh, a fence about a mile round the ranch. And they said, you can go anywhere you want within the boundaries. And what most of these kids did is they went right to the boundary, like right to the edge. They went way further than the first... Yeah, way further than the first experiment. I think what that shows is that when we kind of have some planning, when we have some structure, uh, we explore way more than without. And I think some of this word and spirit stuff is the same. Like teaching, we don't just throw out teaching. We don't throw out Bible. We don't throw out planning. Uh, there's freedom within framework. Gosh, that's such a great insight. So what I'm hearing is you almost start with like this prayerful gut prophetic sense. Like what do we sense that to the best of our ability to discern God is up to or wants to do in this conference or this worship set or this gathering then you kind of click into mental more you know what I mean what are some strategic songs to get to that aim then you create space don't over schedule 
and then freedom in the framework, and then you're there, and you see what happens, you know? Gosh, it's so good. And anything you want to add, or should we move on? Yeah, there's one more thing I'd want to add. Um, I think when you're... Uh, also, when you're growing in this stuff, you know, it's okay to have baby steps. And I remember when I started worship leading, and this is something that we always want to do, but, like, trying to be spirit-led when I'm, like, new to the whole thing was quite, quite a daunting um, prospect. So, actually... You know, sometimes when I was preparing, I just pray, Lord, what, what is it that you might want to do? And the Lord is kind, you know, <laughs> he's kind. So in those moments, he would sometimes give me songs and that, um, that were uh, spontaneous. And I'd just go, okay, cool, that might be what God is doing. I'm just going to park that for now. Um, and then quite often that would, would come out in the moments. And I suppose then as you grow in confidence, you, you get more confidence at doing that more spontaneously. I think... Um, Another helpful phrase is that we always want to be a pastor and a prophet in, our, in worship leading. So the prophetic pushes people into a new space. And, you, and it can be quite uncomfortable at points. Um, but then the pastor side of us wants to bring people with us. So kind of coming back to what you were saying, your question, which was, was so great. I think uh, we, want to, we want to be taking people with us. And that's why, like Alan just demonstrates that amazingly yeah, well. So well. You know, encounter and explanation, those encounter moments, but then we don't need to be over intense. We can just say what it is. Yeah, um, put the room at ease. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Gosh, love it. Um, who's next? So let me run to you. Just maybe stick your hand up over here. Ladies first. Good evening. Evening, evening. Last night someone spoke up and kind of what I would say like, prophesied from the back of the room in a time when you had created a lot of stillness and I in my mind I was like oh it, uh, there's like an order to a service or a um a way to kind of protect the sheep and how does that fit in and how do you kind of transition to like being open to hearing from God and from the people but also um being faithful to or making sure that the things that come out in a group setting are safe or kind of how to steward people growing in the prophetic I guess yeah, maybe I'll just pick up on that one because I mentioned it. But I think um, I think you, you can't um, be open to risk and to prophecy without some without opening yourself up to humanness, humanity, brokenness um, as well. So I think um, the key is in the explanation, and then also um, there's teaching elements within it. So I think. Um, obviously, if something had been heretical, we probably would have um, done something about that in the moment. Um, but I think also you you, you can't protect um, we we can't uh, what's the right word we yeah we we can't uh, ensure that everything is kind of going to be like a okay because. We're all human, right? And and what's the worst that could happen that someone either gets offended or, I don't know, falls over or something? Um, and I think we would have, we would do something about it in the moment. Um, but I, I think really that it's about openness and whether we're all really truly open. I think it's hard to risk without some sort of risk of something happening. Sorry, that was a bad answer, but... Anything to add, Alan? Or no, I don't. That felt like a good answer. So. Yeah. yeah, great. So, in terms of um, like spirit-led, free-flowing, kind of spontaneous worship, as worship leaders, what are some practical ways that you can train your worship team to kind of get better at doing that? Because that can kind of be hard, especially if some of your musicians like don't have that background in just like kind of jamming out on some chords while the leaders kind of lead and do their thing. Um, so what are some ways that you can like teach a worship team to do that collectively? Um, well, we do, we run uh, team nights for our worship team once a month. And um, there are spaces where we get to articulate what it is that the Lord is doing week in, week out, and kind of try and unpack some of uh, some of that stuff, um, debrief a bit, look ahead. And one of the things that we've been doing recently is exactly that, practicing what this looks like. It's okay to like practice the prophetic. Actually, it's really necessary. And so um, what we do is we, 
um, literally we set set up a, a little band and um, we may start with one song that people know, but then we just leave space. And you know, and initially you'll use some maybe musicians who are a little more experienced, who, who do know how to um, jam a little bit. And literally they could go around four chords and then we just see where it goes, you know, so people sing out different songs or they bring a word and, um, and we kind of just go with it. So, okay, actually that's kind of a slight more of an extreme. I would say in your, maybe in your rehearsals that you might say, you know, spend your whatever, an hour working on the songs or whatever it is. And then say, okay, guys, we're going to practice the space now. So let's just go around, let's just cycle the chorus chords and see what happens. And then just have a go. <laughs> um, so then that's like, that's kind of a good starting point. And then I would say, yeah, doing that with your worship team is, um, they've been some of the most powerful, incredible um, times for us where they're really messy and they're, they're not always perfect and like really clunky and that's okay as well but some amazing prophetic words and songs have come out of those times as well can I can I ask just jump in and ask a question you know as a, a former band person a long time ago um, you oh know, sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know obviously and just and then as a pastor I realized that often the people that end up in the worship band are the people that are passionate about music, not necessarily passionate about worship. And, you know, obviously, as if, when musicians are involved and who's up there, you want the best, you know. What does that look like when you have a worship team that isn't necessarily passionate about worship in general or the prophetic? They more just love music and they love Jesus and want to serve. That, I don't mean that in a demeaning way. That's just not how they're wired or where they're at. How do, you, how do you handle that? Um, do those people get vetted before they're even on the worship team? Or is that something you pastor people into? Or, how, or is that just a, a, a Portland phenomenon um, and everybody in the UK just always wants to worship and prophesy? Yeah, it's just a Portland thing. Um, <laughs> something that you guys really got to sort out, um, you know, because the rest of the world is kind of looking. Um, no, that's a joke. That was a joke. Yeah, <laughs> um, British humour here. Really, it's I don't know. Have you found it? Just really got to work work at this, guys. Um, I feel like by the end of like t- tonight and tomorrow, we'll be we'll be on the same page. Yeah. Um, well, just to broaden it out for a second, I think. I mean, yeah, like uh, the whole team. We you got to work on it together. But I think um, the thing that's really helped us with this again, like we steal from you guys all the time. But something that Alan talks about is. Um, and a passage that's really struck me from this whole thing is 1 Samuel 3, where it's like Samuel is almost practicing uh, or getting used to the voice of God, right? So he, he thinks that Eli, his father, is calling him in the middle of the night, and actually it's the Lord. And uh, the start of that passage, it talks about how Samuel positioned himself so close to the lamp of God. Um, and something that Alan talks about is... Um, I don't want to misquote you, though, so correct me if, if I go wrong. Um, but positioning yourself to hear from God isn't just a gesture, it's a posture. And I think that's really uh, been so helpful for us as worship leaders that actually, if we want to hear the voice of God, it's not just a, like, tick box, I want to try and follow these steps to, to hear from God. It's actually like, I want to put myself in the presence of God, posture, um, position myself towards what the Lord is saying. And I think those practical things, like taking one song out of the set, um, but also practicing, you know, in the private place, I think that's absolutely key for what you're saying is like, how do we actually listen to God? Well, just being in his presence and trying to tune in and, and practice this stuff. You know, after a while, Samuel got the idea. Eli was like, no, I didn't call you. I didn't call you. And then, and then he clocks. Okay, cool. And it works out with his father that it's God. Um, calling him and so I think that's encouraging that someone a key figure in scripture um, had this kind of thing with God where it took some time and like really trying to tune in I think it's something that we have to pursue um, to position ourselves and then just back to your question yeah um, with our team anyway we we have a vetting process was kind of a harsh way of, of putting it but you know it was the auditions and but as part of that skill is great and you know of course we need to play skillfully before the Lord as the Psalms talk about and obviously really important you know you wouldn't yeah in the same with teaching it's a gift um 
skill-wise, but definitely what trumps that is the, the posture of someone's heart to worship, 100%. And, you know, I've seen that time and time again, people who scrape by the skill part of the audition. Um, if they have a heart postured um, for worshipping Jesus and not worshipping worship, which is what you've talked about, which is a real danger in our culture at the moment, you know, to worship worship over worshipping Jesus. Um, that, you know, time and time again, yeah, you see people of low skill, as it were, shine through because, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I do think it's possible to have, there's, there are people who have got high skill and, and yet actually um, the posture of their hearts is, you know, and, that, and that's the, the joy of being a worship pastor is journeying with people. But we're pretty intent on that. And so, sorry, I was saying as part of the vetting process is a skill bit, but then there's also a conversation. And so we'll lay out, hey, these are the values of being on our team. Um, you know, there's an expectation of the amount of times or showing up to certain um, team nights. That's really key for us. Um, but also, this is like where we're going. This is the vision of what we're trying to do together. Like, what do you think? You know, and that's actually a really crucial conversation for us and I think if there's an agreement and you're on the same page about where you're going together you yeah you can journey anything together but that initial conversation of setting up the agreement uh is is really key so clear vision and values around that stuff is is really important love it let's move on another question who's who's up next in the back Vancouver BC oh sorry hey um Last week, we actually had the opportunity to sit down with your guys' pastor, and he had mentioned that when he was, like, 19, uh, Mike Pilavachi sent him out in front of, like, 5,000 people to lead worship, and it was, like, an awesome moment of release, and then he's also kind of followed that. And then last night, Alan, you brought up somebody from your team who I'm not sure if they're comfortable with speaking with this many people, but there was also that kind of moment of, like, leadership development, release. How do you have the tension between that in the midst of your guys' culture and then the responsibility of that person to make sure that they're not going to say something crazy or that they're okay with that. And that's like a safety net for that individual so that they're going to be fine. Like, how do you manage that navigation of release and responsibility? No, I want to hear from Alan. I'm not answering yeah, this I question. Think, I think it's time for uh, Alan, little Alan. Sure. Um, a lot of it is just relationally driven. So these guys have I've known that for about a year. We've been working. They're part of our school of mission. And so they, I know that they understand the mindset that we're looking for, the heart posture. Um, I trust their prophetic gifting. Um, and so it, doesn't, it honestly doesn't feel like a risk in that moment in terms of releasing them. Uh, the risk is how the room will respond to them. But they, they'll deliver the heart of the Father. I have no doubt in that whatsoever. So it's just then the secondary part of that is just... Um, in the aftermath, just debriefing and saying, hey, what are we learning? Where are we growing? What are we seeing? Um, and, and honestly, sometimes just catching up with them. I think that's the joy. I'm sure you're the same when you release people in worship. You release people to do ministry, and you're supposed to be training them, and you realize they're miles ahead of you. You're like, oh, my goodness, there go my people. I must follow them, for I am their leader, right? It's like, it's like hey, come, come back and... Uh, yeah, so, so it never, um, I, I think there's certain personalities that comes back to what you would do in worship. Uh, people whose heart is towards honoring the Father in the whole of life are the only people who you should ever put on a stage. Everyone else, the stage will damage them in every way. And so you just drill character in the small corners again and again and you observe and, and watch that. So am I hearing you say that the risk is less about character or heart posture. It's more about skill or talent or whatever. So you're not just throwing somebody up there that you don't know very well or you don't know where the heart is and the heart posture is for Jesus. You're putting up people that you know the heart. You have no clue how they'll do on a microphone or in front of a, people, in front of a crowd of people, but you're more than willing for that to not go amazing and help you know, pastor people and train people and work people forward, but you're putting up people that you know and you trust. Is that what I'm hearing yep. you say? Yep. Yeah. So you're willing to put up a 20-year-old who might not have any public speaking skills because you know the heart's right before Jesus, yep. not the that's opposite. Is that, is that what I'm hearing or no? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. So you're, you're training, always training for heart. The Lord gives skill. <laughs> skill. Like last night, we're doing all that stuff. That's all on Him, right? right. He does that. Uh, 
he gives the skill. You work on the skill, but it's always at leadership is at least, at least 95% heart. Wow. At least 95% heart. So you're looking for people who do not sabotage character in small corners of life. And you, you just work. And the only way to do that uh, is relationally. Gosh, what a great word. Thanks. Was there one down here somewhere? Yes. Hi. Um, so I know both of you, neither, I don't know about you guys, but as far as like you weren't raised in a as charismatic church, you didn't have a background in it. And I'm similar and the church plant we're a part of is similar. And we've just been feeling God's heart move and like him wanting to reveal himself to us in different ways through the Holy Spirit. And um, as not lead leaders, like not pastors or worship pastors, how do we come alongside our leaders well? And like what has been most impactful for you guys learning how to step into this and having people come alongside you in that? And because I know you can have conversations, but sometimes it's just like, well, I'm not, I don't know. Sometimes I don't feel heard. And so I'm like, what else can I do to help show the heart of God through our church? Yeah. Great. Fantastic question. Uh, I mean, I, I think prayer is like so underestimated in all of this. Um, you know, I'm reading uh, Revival in the Hebrides at the moment, a book by Duncan Campbell who played a part in the Revival in the Hebrides. And the constant thread in that book is prayer. And uh, for you guys who don't know, Hebrides are a bunch of islands off the coast of the UK and um, incredible things happening there um, way back. And um, just every move of God is preceded and carried by a move of prayer. And uh, I think for any of us who want to see uh, things of the kingdom, prayer is is the thing that will carry it all. And so, I mean, it's for, for all of us, um, not just for um, people that you're talking about. But I think if you don't feel like maybe conversation is working, maybe turn the prayer up a little bit, you know, um, as a general principle. I don't know. Maybe that helps. Um, And I think, you know, each of us have a personal responsibility with um, walking with the Holy Spirit. And actually, regardless of your church community, you, you know, you can walk that out day to day in your own life and learning to hear the voice of the Lord and taking risks like, you know, often that's, uh, outside the church is actually the easier place to learn. And so, um, you know, that that is something each of us take responsibility for ourselves. And, um, you know, it, with, with the prophetic, it's, it's essentially speaking life. And I think your other question is, how do you lead up well, right? Um, which, yeah, as, as a worship pastor, we find ourselves in that, in that space. Um, and... There's a tension because as a, as a worship pastor, really the main worship leader in the church is your senior pastor, really. And so that's why that conversation is really key. Um, but also, you know, the, the weight of leading a church is, is, is huge, really huge. And I think what we've learned is, um, is, is so important for your senior leader to know that you have got their back 100%. Yeah. And so affirmation... Um, and again, how, how you can use that prophetic gifting in that sense. So prophetic is essentially speaking life, you know. So how do you speak life always um, to your senior leader? And I think as you build trust and relationship, um, you know, bearing in mind that they're, they're the main worship leader, as you build that trust and relationship over time, the Lord will open the doors for you to speak in what you're seeing. And, and I know any church leader that I know is is open to to hearing what people really think. But I think having the trust and relationship there first is is really crucial Um, because it's very exposing as well, being a church leader. And so um, it's really, I would, if I, yeah, I would really dig into that initially. Trust, affirmation, relationship building, and then the Lord will open up the, the opportunities when it's right. Yeah. I mean, I hesitate to answer anything because I feel like we still have so far to go in all of this. And I feel it's been such a slow, gradual process for us. And I feel like there's so much farther we want to go in the prophetic, in healing, in expressiveness, in worship. 
So, um, but I regularly get asked this question by 20-somethings because I spend a lot of time with young leaders and, I, and they regularly have this heart, whether it's about the Holy Spirit or it's about spiritual formation or it's about emotional health or it's about Sabbath or it's about new metrics for success in church culture. I regularly just feel the angst of 20 and 30-something leaders that aren't the lead pastor of the church and really want to see either a different culture or just a shift or movement or maturity in one aspect of culture, but don't have the, you know, don't have that position of the lead pastor or the elder member or the board member or whatever. And honestly, I, I have yet to come up with a great answer for it, but it's on my mic. I, I get asked this at least once a week. And, you know, so I think the paradigm of leading up and leading down is huge that she just was sharing and leading down, meaning people that are, if you're over a, I don't know, a youth group or whatever you're over, or a worship team or whatever, how do you lead them? Leading up, meaning if you have a lead pastor or an elder team or pastors over, how do you, in a sense, lead them? Which isn't a pretentious thing to say. Like, we're all farther down the path in different ways. Just because, you know, a leader is really far down the path in one area doesn't mean he or she is in every area of life, you know, emotionally or spiritually or whatever. So, and honestly, as a leader, you want leaders to come up beside you. You know, so I think what she said about affirmation is huge. You know, what, as somebody who is at a high level of leadership in a church, the worst thing you get is incredibly common. It's where people come to you with a bone to pick and no solution and no offer to do it for you. So they come to you and they criticize you and they want you to do something differently. They don't realize, I'm sitting around, I see so many holes in our church. I want all of them fixed. I'm exhausted and can't do it all. Neither can our team. And so often I agree with the criticism. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know how to fix it or I don't have time to fix it, you know. And so there's nothing, and obviously that's not remotely your heart posture at all. And it rarely is of the people I ask, but it's quite a few of the people who email us, you know. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's a criticism. And if you don't change it, I'm out. That's just not helpful for anything. What's incredibly helpful is when somebody comes who I know is invested in our church, loves me, isn't here to criticize me, sees a weakness in our church, and says, I want to help fill that hole, and speaks honestly to me about the weakness, but not in this weird, angsty, deconstructionist way, and then says, here are some practical things I want to do. That that is just like music to my ears. You know, I just wonder, how can I empower? How can I release? How can I bless? Because that's just an instant emotional, like, Ah, somebody else can help. It's like broader shoulders, you know, more leaders. And especially with the things of the Spirit, our experience has been, you know, because of where where we came from as a church, you know, we kind of lead with teaching so often, right or wrong. That's just the tradition we come from. And stuff has to move from a sermon series into the life of a community. That means first you have to teach on it, then you have to practice it, then so many people have to practice it for so long that it has to become their part of who they are. It has to get into their limbic system to where before they pray, they naturally just wait and see what would God say to this person. To when they come to somebody for healing, they instantly think, I need to grab a few other people. How do we raise faith in the room? How do we, pray? you know what I mean? And rather than default to the, God, I know that you have some plan involved in this thing. You know what I mean? Whatever, the Christianese prayer. So, and, and then it has to reach a tipping point where it's all through the community of the church. And so, especially in the things of the Spirit, man, it's one thing to give a six-week teaching on prophecy. You know, that's fine, whatever. But it has to become a new normal for hundreds of people or dozens of people or whatever, a core in your community to where it's happening without a vision series and a teaching series and people read these three books and a podcast every single, you know what I mean? It's just happening. People just live in that space. They naturally prophesy. They pray for the sick. They worship with passion. They encounter God. They wake up in the morning and create space, you know, whatever it is. So, all that, that's a long way of saying the Gandhi line, be the change you want to see, you know? And, and the only final thing I would say is God often puts things into our hearts years, if not decades, before they come to fulfillment and fruition. And often we want to see these things happen right now. And in particular, if you're not at those higher levels of leadership, often young leaders take emotional responsibility for things that are not actually within their control or even within their influence. And that will just burn you out and turn you into anger. You know what I mean? So you have to release emotional responsibility for things that aren't in your control and just model what you want to see. Speak lovingly, positively, blessing to leadership. Speak honestly and do what you can to instill the kind of culture that you want to see. So that's, that's what I would say just at my, where I'm at, you know. Let's do a few more questions. Yeah, second row here. So I've had the pleasure in my youth days to go to the Anaheim Vineyard 
to several conferences, uh, hear John Wimber teach and everything, which was, I'm learning more that that was a fantastic blessing. Uh, and so seeing the Holy Spirit fall during worship, now as a worship leader in a church that is very mind heavy, uh, it's discouraging to look out into a congregation and see no response to worship. And these questions have already been kind of answered. The practice, get the dozen people, practice it, do it, and show it. But how do you almost like kickstart or jumpstart the congregation going, worship is crucial to this experience and, you know, lead in that area, not just get super discouraged in the process of trying to do that. So. That's, Thanks for that. That's a huge question. Uh, I think any church that hasn't yet learned to worship with their body hasn't understood the mind as well as it thinks it's understood the mind. And so that's where I would, that's where I would start, that, that you take people from where they think they're strong and you begin to lead them towards health and uh, absolutely um, engaging the mind in worship and whatever ways that look like, but slowly awakening through scriptural understanding the use of the body in worship, the engagement of the body with the mind, posture and heart. It is, it is impossible for me to love the Lord my God with all my mind and it not show up in my body. It's like it has to be there. And, and so I think you can... Uh, do that, and I, I would encourage you. We say in anything in setting culture, you're only looking for one. Like if you can find just one, that's all it is. Like even even someone like this, like yes, we we have one. We can we can work with one. Um, just a couple of practical things off the back of that. I think um, I don't know whether it was Wimber that said you know worship is both core and taught, and. In terms of, you know, the teaching stuff, great. Like if it's mind-heavy, get the teachers to teach on worship. But then also in terms of it being caught, if you can find that one person or a couple, put them on the front row and tell them to worship with their bodies like and model it um, to kind of try and infiltrate, you know, and, and just really kind of see it bleed through the church. Um, and then uh, for us, um, the meeting before the meeting's been become really key. So a book by Jim Simbala, pastor in New York, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, has been really influential. It talks about, you know, the meeting before the meeting being key. And again, it's rooted in prayer. So if you can get a bunch of, I don't know, five, ten people before the gathering, and this is obviously just Sunday church-centric we're talking about, but... That expression, if you can get five, ten people who are on fire physically um, before the gathering and then you say, go and burn during the gathering, hopefully that should kind of be the match that sets things on fire. I think Louis Giglio actually in their pre-gathering prayer or whatever they would call it, that's what we call it, that's their language, let's build a bonfire. So they literally show up an hour before church with, you know, a smaller group of people and say, let's build a bonfire, you know. And, yeah, I think there's a, a misconception that actually raising your hands in worship is this newfound, like, charismatic, crazy thing that we do. But actually, you know, there's um, the seven Hebrew words for worship. I think uh, it's a basic Old Testament. I think three of those words are three different hand gestures. Like, so hand gestures with three different kind of lenses or or meaning. So you're talking about like old school. So the raising up of a holy hands is like formative, old school, you know, worship. So I think for, as Alan says, you know, we, we have to be engaging with our bodies in worship. Even that if it's that, even if there is, you know, more revelation of the heart to come for some people, you know, if you're in a mind heavy church, even from a mind point of view, like that is biblical, like Old Testament biblical to raise up hands in worship. So yeah. Right. One or two more. Yeah. Oh, double hands. I can't say no to double hands. Speaking of that, just living it right there. Hey. Hi there. Um, this question, well, I guess it's for all of you, but mostly I think for Alan. Um, 
with regard to starting a group of just going out and evangelizing, praying for people, loving on them. How would you recommend starting something like that? What would that look like? And practically for even um, church members that maybe, like how do you get church members in that are not really on board? <laughs> well, you wouldn't want them, I guess, but <laughs> and I'll just, I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, I, I love that that would even be the orientation of your heart is beautiful, that you would long to move beyond the church to the city and to bring hope in your city is exactly the heart of the Father. And um, uh, again, just um, if that's what you're doing in your everyday life, if that's something that's a passion or a priority of yours, it's bringing one person with you. Uh, you change culture by storytelling. It is the only way you ever change culture. And I, I, think, I think as you go out and you begin to have stories of what the Lord did beyond the building, it moves the heart of people within the church. So uh, you going out with a friend and then sharing the stories in the community, it just, it, it absolutely ignites some people and it absolutely divides others. And uh, when you're setting culture in a community, you're just wrestling that tension a little um, and, and then what we do is, as, um, as leaders, which... Uh, Mom first, worship yeah, leader second. beautiful. That yeah. is beautiful. Is, um, what we do as leaders is, I say to our guys, you know, our task is to provide the encouragement and the environment. People must bring the engagement. That's on their end. So our task is to encourage around that lifestyle and create environments where it's possible. If you chat to any of our guys, they... Uh, engage in that way. But engagement is an inside job, and we I never spend any time trying to motivate people. If they're not up for it or into it, I just don't give them it. Like, I'm looking for people. This is who they are. Because if it's not who they are, it's too difficult to sustain it long haul. They'll do it for a little. It's not in them. The Lord's not on them. And um, we just, for that, and we just keep looking for the ones. So I love that you're doing that already. It's beautiful. Alan, would you just give us a quick synopsis of your Encounter School of Mission, what that is, and, and there might be something people want to think about sending people to or moving yeah. to for a time. Yeah, it's, it's a, a school that we did in Ireland that we uh, do here. It's about eight or nine months on that. Uh, it's intentionally looking at uh, all aspects of spiritual formation, uh, mind, heart, soul, strength, but engagement beyond the church in the city um, where people in their everyday ordinary life, learn how to release the kingdom. And part of the idea behind it as a church leader coming to a new community was to create something in the structure. So, so you move the culture through story, but you actually need something in the structure that people bump into. We're like, oh, they're almost tripping over it. And so for us now, um, you'll hear a story, Dave will share a story of a friend being healed of cancer this week. Liz will tell her dream interpretation story of the week or people come. How many people do you pray for in that uh, shop today and we're just ordering breakfast? Two people. We're trying to order breakfast. She can't help herself. She's just praying for people uh, in Portland. Claire will tell about these words the Lord's giving. And is there, uh, what a school does is it creates that little greenhouse thing. It just it's like a microcosm of what you want of to do. Of the culture that you want culture. to see and the church is large. Is it full-time? Is it a day a week? No, is it's, it... it's like um, eight hours in total, three hours a Tuesday night, five hours on a Wednesday or a Saturday. So it's Got so it. sweet. So people, and is it more designed for people that are already in your church? Do people move? Yeah. And like, could somebody move from Portland for nine months? I want to come yeah, to Anaheim we had some folks from Germany. Folks in Ireland used to come from all over, really, Brazil, all over uh, here right now, we're trying to figure out the visa stuff and what that looks Cheryl, like. Gerald, are you ready to start that this fall at Bridgetown Church? <laughs> you just want to go to surf in Southern California once a week. is Yeah. So it's just one night a week and then five hours on yeah. a Wednesday? And, and, um, and the beauty is you have, um, you have this beautiful impossibility culture that stirs where, uh, you know, from Dallas, he's teaching. Dallas was um, huge on that the gospel is more than sin avoidance. Yeah, and so the gospel of sin management. A lot of what we do is we create accountability structures in church for helping people move forward. Uh, but what Jesus did is he created this impossibility culture. And he would, uh, so the question would be, how did you release the kingdom today rather than how did you avoid sin today? It's yeah. just a whole... It's a whole different paradigm. question, isn't it? And that's where those guys, uh, they just 
yeah, it's where a school really comes into its own because you get that little culture. Wow, just beautiful. Um, we are, unfortunately, I could ask these guys questions for hours, but we're out of time. We want to open the doors and let people in for our evening session. Thank you so much. And let me just, actually, Alan, would you just pray a blessing on the church leaders here and the communities they um, represent as, as priests? Yeah, but a stand to do that, guys. Yeah, let's do that. Um, stand. Here's what I would love to do. I, I want to do more than pray a blessing for you in this moment. Um, God forms his friends around altars. It's just where he makes his friendships. And, and as leaders, um, our first task is that beautiful surrender to him. Uh, we are not in this for influence. We are not the movers and shakers. We are the moved and the shaken, struggling to surrender to what He is doing in the earth in these days. And so I wanted to, uh, rather than just bless, to bring us to the altar for a moment, if that would be okay, where we surrender again our story to His story, our vision to who He is, and, um, and from that place, fruitfulness comes. Would that be okay? If so, say, yay. Yeah, I only need one. <laughs> Father, thank you for the hearts in this room, for how they are moved towards you and stirred by you. And thank you, God, that you do form your friends around altars. And we come again to the altar. We lay down who we are for all that you are. We lay down all that we have for all that you have. God, tonight we want to surrender at the church again and say, this is your church. It's never been our church. It's always been your church. And God, we surrender leadership and we say that our, our deepest longing is to be first followers. We just want a front row seat to who you are and to what you're doing in the earth in these days. And we ask as we commit ourselves to you that you would make us people of covenant beyond management, people of prayer beyond platform, that you, oh God, would bless and, and put your fruitfulness upon us in these days, and I pray for uh, my friends here that, Father, your favor that followed them here, goodness and mercy that followed them here, your favor would go beyond them in, in this new season of leadership and formation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. We just honor you guys. We're so grateful. Um, a few things before we take a quick break. One, um, Alan has a beautiful new book that's all on kind of the intersection between mission and missionality and the charismatic tradition we have. I think some copies still for sale out there. Make sure you get one or on Amazon. Secondly, um, Mike Pilavachi, who was here for our Holy Spirit Conference last year, is coming to town for a midweek event a month from now, and we will quite possibly do another little leaders forum an hour or two before that evening event. I think it's on a Wednesday night. I don't even remember the date, but we have a slide that will be around tonight. So um, just watch your feed for that. And I just want to say, just selfishly those of you that are part of Bridgetown Church but are not on staff, thank you that you're here. We love you guys so much that you would take our church seriously and take ownership and responsibility. I'm just so grateful for you and love you. And all of you that are guests, we love you too. I just don't really know you, but we're so happy that you're here. Welcome. Um, we'll take a little break. We're back at 7 p.m. Kick on the house music. Have a great time. Get seated wherever you want. Thanks again for coming.